everyone, and welcome to RASC 150 History Podcast. I am a director of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada. My name is Heather Laird, and my co-host is the archivist, Randall Rosenfeld. Say hello, Randall. Hello. This podcast is taking a slightly different form than our usual ones. Um, it's not as scripted. In fact, it's not scripted at all. We will resume the series in January and do the last one then. But we thought, because people are going to have uh, time off, it's a holiday season, that we'd record an uh, extra one anyways. Our sound production team, which is Chelsea, has been very good about putting up with this, <laughs> I must say, as with so much else. What we're going to do, Heather and I are going to, we're actually going to talk to each other, and we're going to talk to each other about some of the things we've been discussing in these podcasts. And you might, on occasion, uh, the last podcast you will have heard the notional cat. You may even hear the real cat. It's true. <laughs> you may it's, hear my cat. <laughs> it's quite possible. He doesn't do, oh, clearly doesn't do enough observing. No, he definitely doesn't. What I was thinking, the first question we could start start off with is, why should we care about the history of astronomy? Why do we, yeah, well, the history of astronomy is incredibly important. We wouldn't have gotten to where we are today if these people had not started documenting um, what they'd been doing way, way before we even thought about it. So that's, that's exactly why we're, we're all so interested in it, I think. Um, what do you get personally from it, just looking at the stuff? Personally? Um, yeah. I just really enjoy knowing um, the efforts and, and what was involved for so many others prior to us coming in, in, into this. Because I know it was difficult. We had different tools. We had different ways of recording. We had it was it's an entirely different world back then. Yes, of course. It's easier to ask a question to, than to answer it. So I should turn that <laughs> I should turn that question. Um, Heather, you might as well ask me that question. Okay. Well, why should we care about the history of astronomy, Randall? Gee, that's a good question. See the answer <laughs> above. Um, no, I can't get away with that. Uh, we should care because for the reason Heather said. We have all this, all these records of how people observed the sky before us, and in a way, I guess I feel we owe something to them to t recover their stories and tell their stories. Yeah. But I suppose it's more basic than that. Uh, where we stand, our present knowledge is, of course, built. Well, this old the <laughs> that's um, tired old image of standing on the shoulders of giants, which goes back, I think, to Bernard de Chart. Uh, he was in the central Middle Ages. Um, is 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 what we're doing? That uh, oh, the series of books edited by Hawking, standing on the shoulders of giants. Uh, is that sort of idea mm -hmm. that science is cumulative? It's progressive. Things fall by the wayside, and important things do, which are then later recovered sometimes. But history is a resource, and then there's a the whole thing of the stories. The stories in themselves are good. Last podcast we mentioned transits of Venus. Um, I mean, it was a big thing, and as Heather said in the past, much more difficult to observe. It was a big thing to put together an expedition to go put yourself in the predicted path, and you have to assume that the people who did the mathematics got it right where the path was. And the predicted path at the right time, putting up with all the difficulties of travel in the 18th century, so you could observe this. And some people didn't make it back. Some people went, and they were clouded out. 
stayed another, I think, stayed another eight years, got clouded out again, came home, only to discover that uh, the property had been given away, their wife had remarried. Um, these things happen. And the stories are just, and the stories themselves are interesting. They are. So I guess the next question would be, what are the responsibilities when doing astronomical history, Randall? <laughs> I can turn this on you after I answer it, of course. Oh, no, you're it, not. <laughs> it would be, it would be polite, impolite not to. Um, any answer we give to this is going to be problematic. Um, but I would say the first responsibility is to get the history right. Yeah. And there's no objective way to do that. So one does the best one can, realizing that you may get as much of, that you will get as much of the story right as you can, depending on your access to the documents which are available, the artifacts, your ability to read them, and estimating what's missing from the story, what you haven't got access to. Uh, it's important to use proper qualifications in how you state things. This is probably what we think. This is probably what someone's motives were. These are what the results look like. We may have read them wrong. Those sorts of things. Um, it's in a way, history is always is always like astronomy itself. It's a work in progress. It's never going to end. Um, so there's that responsibility. There's responsibility to the people who preceded us to try to tell their stories now, um, in the hope that uh, this will be turned on us when we're no longer here, and if our our stories are thought to be worth the telling. Um, t t anyways, how would you answer it? <laughs> Pretty much the same way. It's important to get it right and also admit when we don't have uh, certain information because there's a lot missing. Um, but yeah, exactly the same way. So I guess the next question would be how should the history of astronomy be used um, just as a source of entertaining stories, um, as a means to arrive at a better understanding of old and still very useful data, um, as a place to find overlooked data, or as a resource for recovering lost voices? Ooh. I definitely don't think that it should be just for entertaining stories because that's as much as they are very entertaining. Um, I don't think that's the sole thing. That's for sure. No, I agree with you. It shouldn't end there, though. The stories, the stories are useful, particularly if someone's doing um, astronomical outreach. You're at a telescope. Um, you're showing someone. Oh, what, you're showing someone Mars. So earlier in the year, when it was uh, placed well. Um, at its opposition, and you can tell them the stories of how people thought there may have been canals there, yep. how there was almost a mass observational delusion, how someone who how someone who was very influential with a lot of money um, thought he had the scientific answer to the answer to this instead of trying to let the evidence he was observing speak for itself, and how that swayed a lot of people. Um, how this, anyways, you can tell people these things and then perhaps how that observational delusion was swept away while they're observing. It gives them another dimension. Um, sure. Uh, old, uh, the history of astronomy as a data mine is really important. Uh, Richard Stevenson at Durham University has done incredible work taking, taking records of observations going back uh, some, in some cases, thousands of years. Uh, a lot of them in non-Western non sources. They're not in a form that we can readily use them to extend uh, 
data series. He took them, he interpreted them with, with other experts and made them, converted them into a form that was useful without contributing the amount of reliable data that was in those observations. Incredibly useful thing. You can see, you see longer range trends. Um, and of course, it can also be used to give us a better understanding of how the data, the old data we're going to use, how it was derived. So we can perhaps estimate, you know, errors in the stuff. There's that. Um, sure, a place to find overlooked data, absolutely. And something that you've done yourself, Heather, is use history as a resource for recovering lost voices. Yep. Though that's hard. It is. It's incredibly hard. <laughs> uh, you're talking about the Canadian Women in Astronomy presentation, right? Yep. Yeah, um, and it's really hard to find that information. Um, and I'm still plugging away at it. I'm, I've learned a lot. Even just having conversations with people at GAs, I've learned of people that I didn't even know existed. So there's a, there's a lot of work there, especially, especially yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. No, that happened to me recently. Uh, the Antique Telescope, Antique Telescope Society has got a really good, uh, oh, I forget what you call it, uh, 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 you know, a list where you get these, um, you know, people post stuff. Very high quality. The be among the best astronomical ones I know of, actually. And someone mentioned a female telescope maker who was working, I think, as early as the 50s. She'd show up at Stellafane in Vermont. Amazing. Um, but apparently her and she, her work was really top quality and she made some of the most difficult astronomical designs at the time like a Maxitov oh, wow. quite a large diameter yeah. uh, a primary one she, she did this stuff back then just really impressive that's amazing didn't even know about her and of course there are other groups um, oh of course people who people who aren't yeah. older white males like me yeah well and like from a European a background of, a lot of um you know, we we don't know how diverse we are because we 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 don't we don't keep track of that information. No. Um, so, what struck you about the history we've recounted in these podcasts, Randall? Oh, good heavens! Um, first thing I'd say is how much we don't know, or how much we know imperfectly. Um, it surprised me, and it, sh it shouldn't have. There's stuff I thought that had already been covered. It would be easy to write some of these, and it wasn't. Um, the good part about that is we've managed to uncover some stuff that wasn't previously known or put the material into a new light, which is, I guess, always valuable. Mm -hmm. We may have got some of it wrong, but that's, that is the nature of the enterprise. Um, the other thing that is revealed to me is how much I've got, how little I know and how much, how much, uh, uh work I can look forward to in the future. <laughs> um, that there are a lot of interesting stories yet to be uncovered. And I guess for our listeners, I think it's important to note that Randall is the one that has done all of the research for our podcasts, and he's the one that's got access to everything, and he's done an amazing job, so thank you, Randall. Oh, well, it's very good of you to say that. Um, Heather has put up <laughs> with having having to read um, some unusual words. I don't know how they got in there, but it, <laughs> it happened. It's your personality, Randall. I love it. Oh, yes, I suppose it is. Oh, well. Anyways, I'm grateful she's put up with it. And, and, uh, and Chelsea, as, too, our, our sound absolutely. engineer. No, it's been, a, it's been an excellent ride. I'm excited for the next podcast. Um, is there anything else you want to recount on, on the last year? or? Um, not really. Um, there's not too much I found embarrassing that might change. <laughs> 
as years go by and if I can manage to listen to these and stand to listen to them, my voice. Um, the other thing I'd say is I'd thank our listeners. Absolutely. Thank you. You've actually listened. For sure. Okay. Well, thanks to everyone who tuned into this podcast, and we hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, please visit www.rask.ca slash rask-2018-podcast for contact details. We wish you the best of the holiday season and for the new year, and we hope our upcoming final official podcast of this present series finds you hale and healthy in the new year. Our sound engineer is Chelsea Body, and our theme music is by Eric Svilpis.